This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Travis Watts. Thanks for being on the show, Travis. Thanks so much for having me, Whitney. Yeah, I'm excited about this interview and pleasure to meet you, Travis. And a little about Travis. He's an apartment investor, a passive income advocate, and is a director of investor relations at Ashcroft Capital. So Travis, give us a little more about your background and investing and and what you're up to, and then let's dive in. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I originally got into real estate investing in 2009 in the single family space. So I started doing a little bit of house hacking where I was renting out some spare bedrooms. I got into some fix and flips. I did some single family buy and holds and some vacation rentals. I was all in the Colorado market. All my properties were in my own backyard. And uh, funny thing is I originally set out to be a passive investor and to scale a portfolio of single family homes, acquiring you know maybe two or three a year at most over time to have 50 or 100 one day. That was kind of the, the big goal at the time. As I got a small handful of portfolios that I was actively managing, I quickly realized that was going to be really tough to scale that model. I was spending a lot of my time managing them where I didn't really anticipate that happening. I was working a full-time job simultaneously. So I had to kind of take a step back, reevaluate and say, you know, how am I going to scale this? Tried a couple, you know, property management groups and things, but really ended up doubling the workload at that point. I was now managing property managers in addition to my tenants and I had all the same problems. They certainly didn't go away. So that's when I learned about uh, syndications and being literally 100% passive with investing. So Long story short, I ended up liquidating that portfolio of self-managed properties and going 100% into real estate syndication. Nice. That, it's a similar story to mine. I actually started in, in 2009 with small, very small multis, thinking like that was the only way. I didn't know about this big world of syndication at the time, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that's awesome. But so, you know, you really got to the point to where it's like, wait a minute. This is going to be very difficult to scale this. And it's it's definitely not passive. Even if you had that manager, it wasn't passive, you said, right? Right. In my case, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody recently had just reminded me of this, but you know, the whole world of real estate investing is all self-taught. I mean, you, you've got to be the go-getter to get out there and get that information. So probably in a similar way, we started with with a particular mindset based off, you know, one individual or one book or something. And then, yeah, the more you scale out and expand your mind, it's like, wow, there's a whole lot more out there I could be doing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so then you decided to liquidate. I mean, that's a pretty big step to say, okay, I'm selling all of this and going this other route over here. How did you educate yourself enough to know that that was the correct move? That's a good question. So it didn't didn't happen all at once. It wasn't a, a knee-jerk reaction by any means. When I had first learned about syndications, I was still a bit skeptical about, you know, what was the catch there. But I was so set on not managing tenants any longer and doing all the active roles. So I did one syndication. That's how I got started. I just did one. You know, I forget. I did the bare minimum investment on it. And I set about maybe three to six months and I just kicked back and I just watched it, right? I watched, I want to make sure, do I really get 
monthly reporting? Do I really get monthly distributions? <laughs> you know, are they going to do what they say they're going to do? And after I kind of saw that unfold in real time firsthand, I thought that's absolutely the path I want to take, 100%. Okay, so I think that's that's so smart. So you invested in one, then you just you said you you just waited. So you're a patient, right? Like let's check this out. Let's test the waters. As much as I wanted to just throw it all in day one, <laughs> I knew it was going to take a lot of vetting of teams, getting to know people, building relationships, and you know I was realizing quickly, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I certainly didn't want to put all my capital with maybe one group later to find out that wasn't the best group to invest with. So how did you build that relationship to the point you were comfortable investing more or, uh, you know, and, and more? That's a great question too. So obviously that's a relationship. I, this all is a relationship business. So starts with just understanding, you know, this team exists out there. They do these types of deals. They're in these types of markets. That's kind of a first step. If that resonates with you if those are markets that that you also believe in and that's the type of asset you like to invest in for whatever reason take it to the next level reach out get to know the syndicators if possible maybe set up a, a face-to-face meeting a big thing I do is I attend a lot of uh, networking events whether that be local or just nationwide uh, just to get word of mouth referrals figure out who else is investing with with what groups and what their experience has been. Uh, that always goes a long way with me is is uh, the gut check of meeting the individual themselves and getting the word of mouth referrals, not always from the group, because, of course, they're going to give you, you know, their <laughs> their best followers. <laughs> right. So I guess, how did that change, though? Like, as far as, you know, in the beginning, you kind of had to learn how to not just vet that sponsor to some extent, you know, in the, initially, and you may not know how, but you gave it that time, you were patient uh, to test the waters a little bit. But what about vetting the deal and, and vetting the market also? Yeah, that's a great question, too. So just one step at a time, quite literally, like I said, it'll start with, okay, I'm taking a look at a deal right now. I'm personally, I like the B-class assets. I don't do a lot of, you know, investing in ground up construction or brand new luxury, things like that. And I also don't like to go into the, you know, C-class, D-class, you know, rougher neighborhoods, uh, harder to manage, stuff like that, or maybe a property with no occupancy currently with a big plan to, to fill the whole thing up. There's just more risk. I mean, bottom line, my risk tolerance isn't that, that high. So if it's a B class, if it's in a good market that's growing and expanding, that's diversified with jobs and employment opportunities specific to workforce uh, housing tenants, those are the main factors that I look at. In addition to, of course, the numbers are obviously important, but I think it's more about the team and their ability to execute the business plan. I don't just jump right to the numbers and say, that deal's 10%, that deal's 7%, i am going to do the 10 <laughs> There's a lot more to it. I, I think I kind of started that way, thinking that was the most important factor and, and find the highest deal. But in some of those first deals, I quickly realized that uh, you know they weren't going to hit those numbers anyway. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it is about the operator, right? It's all about yeah. the team. Yeah. And I think as as an LP or a limited partner, I mean, hopefully the team knows more about the numbers than you do. Yeah, right. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, and so maybe you can elaborate even more on things you were looking at, or, or maybe even how that's changed to now. Like you know, hmm. things, tips you could provide now that you wish you had known on that first deal that you invested in. Yeah, great. So the the first two to three deals I did. I was totally deal focused. 
I was really reading hard into the pro forma. Like I said, the numbers, this one's got better numbers than those numbers. So I'm going to go with this one. And I, I wasn't doing much due diligence on the team. wasn't doing much digging on what's their track record, what's their history, who's on the team, how long they've been there, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think that was a, a, a huge mistake for me. Thankfully, the asset class itself, I think, is just a great asset to be in. And all the deals had actually performed as expected, despite maybe having a team with a lack of experience or a track record. But, you know, just things like frequent communication and accuracy of reporting. And, you know, if they tell you, we send distributions out on the 15th, realizing that some groups that that's a loose guideline. And for others, it's always on the 15th and just kind of realizing that there's teams with a higher competency level. So all of my time now, cause I'm, I consider myself a full-time apartment investor as a limited partner, which is kind of the irony, right? It's hundred percent passive, but I'm full-time, but all of my time is spent betting out operators and, and groups and getting references and referrals. And elaborate again on how you got referrals. Yeah, so I will absolutely ask the sponsors themselves for referrals. That's always a great thing to do. But I won't just solely rely on that because they're going to, like I said, give you two or three of their best investors. And of course, it's always things are great and they're awesome. So I'm going to take it a step further. And a lot of times that comes out of just meetup groups, you know, locally or nationally, seminars, uh, any type of real estate gathering or online forums. Maybe, you know, hop onto bigger pockets and, you know, search for that, that syndicator group, right? See kind of what the perception is out there for other folks. So kind of a combination of all of this. It's a gut check with me meeting one-on-one or by phone or by Zoom conference with the group and then getting their referral list, talking to those folks, and then going out and, and trying to do my own due diligence that way. Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. Our guest is Eric Nelson. Eric co-owns an engineering company, but is looking to transition to real estate full-time. Eric's been investing in single family and small multifamily for years. After learning and partnering, that partnering is the best way to accelerate. Eric made the shift to multifamily and partnered with the right people. Eric also has a podcast called The Real Estate Mindset. I still think you can shed a lot of light and help to the listeners who are trying to get to that first syndication. Some challenges you have had and, you know, let's jump in there. I would say probably the first thing to tell new potential syndicators is it takes a long time to get your first deal. Typically, you know, there are some folks out there who maybe partner with someone early on, maybe some skills, jump into a first deal, maybe get some GP points. But in my opinion, you really have to be patient and take your time. So that's really the first piece of advice because as Joe kind of lays out in his book, you also really need to start raising capital long before you ever think you need to, because as I'm finding out now, it's a pretty challenging task. So get the word out, 
get the word out, spread the word. Hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Here's what I'm getting into, you know, get people excited about it long before you ever think you need to. And then a couple of challenges would be basically patience because I would say on average, I'm just kind of guessing here from what I'm hearing on my show, maybe a year or so you start into this path. You're trying to get educated. You're getting some marketing, finding some teammates, getting to know brokers, you know, kind of all the stuff that leads up to the deal. And it just takes time. It takes time to build relationships, takes time to build your knowledge. So one of the challenges, I say the biggest challenge is just patience. Like, Oh my gosh, this is a lot of money and a lot of time leading up to the first thing. Will it be worth? And I think lots of people just walk away six months in. They say, Oh my gosh, I've spent money on a coach, spent money traveling there, getting deals from brokers, but they don't work. You know, hear a lot of that stuff. And then, you know, along with that patience thing is underwriting. I bet we underwrote close to 200 deals before we got this first one. And I think that's pretty typical of the market right now. So hopefully it's not always going to be that way, but you'll also find groups that overpay for stuff. And so one other challenge and one other thing is don't fudge the numbers. You just can't. So if it doesn't work, move on and get back to the broker and say, here's where we are and here's why. And they'll understand. They also love that feedback. So the biggest challenge I'd say is basically patience and really getting educated, really knowing the field, really knowing what you're doing. It takes a long time. So that'd probably be my biggest piece of advice. No doubt. It's such great advice. People ask even about just starting a podcast. Has it paid off all that stuff? And I say, man, expect to, I mean, whether it's a meetup or YouTube channel, whatever, thought leadership platform and clients I'm working with or mentoring, I say, you know, it works, but plan to do it a year before you see any results. I hope it happens in four to six months, but like just plan on doing it a year, right? You know, before you see anything from (laughs) it, like just go into it. With that mindset, knowing that, and it also reminded me of a book that I've heard of, and I have not read this book, but I think it could apply here. I've heard a lot about it, but it's called Five Feet from Gold, right? You know, people stop, right? They're five feet from the gold, and you just have to be willing to keep going. And really, a year, just in the way you can scale in this business, like it's a very short time period, right, of your life, considering the impact that it can make. I mean, I could have easily quit it a year and you know, we're really not feeling any success at that point and nearly killing myself and family trying to make it happen. But I'm so thankful we didn't quit. And so was it your mentor, though, Eric, that like helped you to really understand that and to move forward quickly and to help to keep you motivated or to help you to remind you that you need to be patient? Or was that your spouse? How did you stay patient and keep going to get to this first deal? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of everything. So I asked you a question on my show, basically, like, what do you attribute your success to? And I was thinking about that question after that. And mine is basically everyone around me. Like, I'm kind of this pawn sort of thing. But I bring it back to my two-year-old. He loves doing puzzles. But, you know, they have those, like, inset ones where he'll spin them as, like, a tractor and he can match it. And he's pretty good at them. But a true puzzle, you know, he wants to try so bad, but he can't do it unless I say this piece goes right here and he'll spin it around and put it in and it gets all jazzed. That's kind of how I feel my life is. Like everyone around me is saying, here's this puzzle piece. And then I just have to actually push it in and do a little bit of the work. So it's basically been my wife, mentor, coach, friends, family, kind of pushing me along the way. And it comes similarly to me with the podcast. I think my 25th episode aired. So that's about a half a year because I'm doing it weekly. And a friend of mine called and he finally said, Hey, your podcast is finally sounding good. <laughs> so he was like, Hey, you're getting some traction. You're getting good at this interview thing or whatever. But the point of that story was to say, everyone around me has kind of supported me and I've known it's going to take some time, 
And that's why I give that advice. It's like, if you can go into it knowing, okay, this is going to be an investment. It's going to be an investment in time. It'll be a sacrifice in the many ways for my family. So I just say basically my success in being patient is really to credit to everyone around me. Great answer, no doubt. So important who you surround yourself with personally and professionally in every walk of your life. And what's been the, the biggest challenge for you, Eric, getting to this first deal? Anything else that really stood out to you other than patience? I know you mentioned that. Like anything as just far as learning the business or raising the money or getting the financing or finding the deal, like what were some of those difficulties? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, basically all of those, right? So every piece that you just said, it comes with the challenge. So, so I think raising capital, similar to what I was describing, like people tell you, like, it's difficult. I think for me, what's been challenging is we're in raising capital now. I think it'd be okay to talk about this because it'll, the fund or the opportunity will likely close before this airs. But you talk to friends, you tell them about it and they'll say, yeah, I'm super interested and I definitely want to invest. And then you send them the basically click now wire money thing and then get cold feet. And I don't ever want to push someone into something that they're not comfortable or super knowledgeable about doing. So I'm always like, that's what's good for you. That's what's best for you. But you kind of in the back of your mind have this like, punch to the gut, basically like, oh, that's X number less than I had expected to raise. So that was, and still is an ongoing challenge is kind of just saying you shouldn't force someone. They really need to be aware of the risks and all those things. So that was a challenge. Another one I think is broker relations. And I think you know this business well. Your relationship with brokers is so key and it takes a long time. I mean, there was a handful of brokers I called especially in like really competitive markets. One guy just flat up hung up on me. <laughs> He's like, Hey, take me off your call list and hung up. And it's funny later I talked to him about it. He's like, Oh man, I'm sorry. I got so many spam calls those last few weeks. But all that to say is it takes a lot of effort and energy to get there. So the challenge would be really getting brokers to take you seriously, really understanding what underwriting looks like too. And that credit back to my coaching into his name is Jens Nielsen. So I'll give him a shout out, but really understanding kind of the ins and outs. I mean, if you talk about cap rate, I think a lot of early investors understand that, but cap rate versus X cap rate and why the exit cap rate is different than your entrance, how to be conservative. There's just a ton that goes into it that is difficult to learn on your own and it takes some time. So the challenges of really understanding, you know, relationships, raising capital, branding is huge. Really kind of this thought leadership platform like you've got going, Whitney, is it's a lot of work and they all come with their specific challenge. Yeah, no doubt about it. Appreciate you elaborating on numerous things there, even going back to your coach. And I know Zen's a great guy for sure, or been in a mastermind with him for a while. But what about now you're at this first deal, you're in the middle of getting to the closing table now, but we've talked about it taking a year to make a lot of this happen or longer. And what would you have done differently? Now that you know what you know, looking back, anything that you're like, man, if I had done this thing, it would have been so much better or whatever. What would you have done differently? Again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I really would have gotten the word out as fast as I possibly could. You know, don't be afraid to post on social media. Say, hey, if anyone's interested in real estate, reach out to me. And just really talk to your friends, family. There's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to say, hey, I'm not an expert yet, but I'm headed this direction. So I would probably have put the word out, I guess, sooner than I did, because I think raising capital will become easier the sooner people know what you're doing. So that's probably a huge key is just, you know, dive in. And then, you know, what I did was basically I spent a lot of, like I drive quite a bit for my job. I'm an engineer and I drive around. So I listen to a ton of podcasts, but I would have spent even more time getting educated early, you know, just read books, 
listen to podcasts as much as you possibly can and get the word out. It'd basically be the two pieces of advice. And what's challenging about what I'm saying right now is those are kind of early on in the process. And so if someone's listening say, man, I have to do all that stuff so fast, so soon. The other piece of advice I would give is you are where you're supposed to be. So like be okay with the process and be okay with, you know, I'm probably a few months out at least don't have my website up or whatever it is, all those things along the way, it's just part of the journey. So this is kind of a mindset thing too, is just enjoy that journey. It's not like you rush as fast as you can and, and you're not sleeping to try and get the first deal. It's like, it's kind of all part of the process and you get to know people and go to conferences. I've really enjoyed the process. And I think it's partly due to just like taking some deep breaths and saying, there is no true finish line in this business. If you think there is, you're going to be surprised because I would always have this mindset of like, Oh, my website's ready or my podcast ready. And eventually I was like, you know what? You'll never be ready. Cause there's always the next stepping stone. Like with you, you're in this fun process and I can't wait five years from now. Hopefully I'm in that same zone, but I want to enjoy the process between here and there as well. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 